Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. As we begin, we must always acknowledge the country that we are on. My name is Auntie Claire Jackson. My special name is Murukuchin, which is the black swan. We would like to show our respect to the spirits, the elders, the law keepers, the aunties and uncles, and all you youngsters who are Cadigal. This is your land. This is your country. You have never, never given it up. Thank you very much, Cadigal people, Cadigal elders, Cadigal spirits, for letting us be here in peace and hopefully in happiness. G'day and welcome to That's Incredible. This is a podcast about the unexpectedly awesome things that are all around us, things you may have never noticed before. And I think this could be my favourite episode of the series. I think it will be deadly as well. And I don't mean that funnel web spiders will start crawling out of the car speakers kind of deadly. I mean deadly in the way you use the word if you're one of the First Nations people of Australia. Deadly as in cool. Deadly as in I like what you're doing. Deadly as in the exact opposite of hundreds of funnel web spiders crawling out of the stereo system. This series of That's Incredible is all about Australia. And in this episode, we're going to hear some amazing stories about First Nations people and the history that's passed down through generations. But first, at the beginning of this episode, you heard Arnie Claire Jackson give an acknowledgement of country. An acknowledgement of country is like knocking on the door and saying, G'day! before you walk into someone's home. Australia has been occupied for over 60,000 years and its people were organised into many different nations. If you were travelling from your own country into someone else's country, maybe a desert person wanting to trade with someone who lived by the ocean, you'd stop and ask permission before entering. So when you acknowledge country or someone welcomes you to country, you're taking part in a ceremony that's been going on for literally thousands of years not to mention being incredibly polite and well-mannered. I mean, isn't it amazing to think that if you're going on a drive right now, you may well be crossing into lots of different nations? I think it is. I think that's incredible. When you come back from your holiday and your friends ask, where have you been? Did you go to France or the US or China? You can say no. I've been to the Wurundjeri Nation or the Eora Nation or the Bundjalung Nation and they were great. The First Nations Australians have 60,000 years of history. So for a lot of that time, they didn't have books, they didn't have movies, they didn't even have TikTok. They told their stories around the campfire and in song. They are masterful storytellers. But don't take my word for it. Coming up, we're going to hear about the importance of storytelling from a wonderful First Nations storyteller. Plus, 
It's almost a bonus, a story from Auntie Claire Jackson. But first, here are some brilliant facts about Australia from our cast of kids. The first Australian travellers used trees as road signs. When people travelled around Australia, they didn't have street directories or GPS or Google Maps to stop them from getting lost. What they did was sing songs that contained all the directions. And these song lines were easy to remember. Much easier than listening to your mum and dad sing songs from when they were kids. And there were trees with interesting shapes or scars on them. Or they might take the small branch of a sapling and then graft it back into the trunk, creating a circle. And all these things acted as directions and you'd find them at junctions of important trails. Now, I'm not saying they said things like take a left at the droopy willow with the fat trunk, but maybe. There's a stone circle that's twice as old as Stonehenge, just outside of Melbourne. The wordy Yuang Formation is a ring of basalt stones set out so that the sun rises above the biggest stones on the longest day of the year, just like at Stonehenge. Now, geologists reckon the stones could have been put in place over 10,000 years ago, making the people who built it some of the oldest astronomers in the world. Or Martians from outer space. Just saying. You know, just in case. And I do sleep with a hat made of tinfoil, but only on the full moon. The first Aboriginal Australian to play test cricket for Australia learnt to bat with a rock for a ball. This is one of the great Australian sports stories. Auntie Faith Thomas became the first Aboriginal to play test cricket when she was selected for the Australian women's team to play England in 1958. Here's the fantastic bit. At the school where she grew up, they sometimes didn't have a proper cricket ball to play with and improvised by using round river rocks instead. She quickly learnt that if she didn't hit the ball with a bat, she'd get a crack on the shins. A fast bowler, powerful wrists and she only bowled from four steps. She stayed behind to finish her studies and became a nurse when the Australian team toured England. One of the great stories. The first Australians found an emu in the sky that was billions of kilometres long. By looking at the dark spaces in the Milky Way, Aboriginal stargazers discovered the shape of an emu. The two months of the year that the emu appeared in the sky just happened to be the same two months of the year the emus laid their eggs. The return of the dark emu every year heralded the start of the egg collecting season. Coincidence? I doubt it. And the people who collected the eggs made sure they left plenty behind so that lots more baby emus were born. After all, who'd want to run out of emus? There's also a book called Dark Emu and there are two versions, one for kids and one for bigger kids like your parents. Check it out. Aboriginal kids made toy propellers out of leaves. This is cool. They would find the longest leaves, wrap them up tightly and then toss them into the air, having competitions to see whose could fly the highest. And then they'd, you know, twirl on the way down. So I guess this is like a natural version of what we used to do, which was green army men with parachutes. I'm guessing that's what it's like. Australia's first international trade was in sea cucumbers? The Yongu people in northern Australia were visited every year by sailing boats from Indonesia. They were full of fishermen and they loved the taste of our local sea cucumbers. Now, the sea cucumber is not a vegetable. 
It's an animal closely related to starfish and sea urchins. Yum! In return, the Yongu people received canoes and tools. So long before Australia rode on the sheep's back, we rode on the sea cucumber's back. And for the record, sea cucumbers taste like... um, Look, they don't taste like much at all. It's the texture people seem to like. I've heard it's a bit like jelly, but fishy. <laughs> Yum! For thousands of years, fire was used to help farm the land. Oh, this is incredible. Indigenous Australians are experts at controlling fire. They burn small pieces of bush to flush the animals out, which are then hunted for food and resources. When fresh shoots began growing on the burnt ground, it provided great food for the animals. And by burning small pieces of land all the time, they were able to stop massive bushfires from starting up. The land was so green that it reminded the early European arrivals of a giant park. Given the fires Australia has every summer, lots of people are looking to the Indigenous Australians for help on how to deal with them. There are over 250 different Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages. Some of the languages are still spoken by thousands of people, but a lot of them are spoken by only a few. And some, well, they're not spoken at all anymore, because sadly, in the past, people were told not to speak their own language. But there are lots of young people who are working really hard to bring back some of these languages. How incredible are those facts? And there are stacks more we could share with you. That's incredible. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. But now we're going to hear from an amazing modern-day storyteller. We're really lucky to have her join us to tell us a special story about the emu. Annie Claire Jackson is an extremely important person for lots of different reasons. She's a scholar. She's a university lecturer. She talks to people around the world. She's a mentor. She's an artist. And she's an auntie to all of us, which means she holds lots of information about Aboriginal culture, and she's allowed to share some of that with us today. We're really lucky to have her join us. This is a story about the emu, beautiful creatures, very cheeky and pretty harmless. And they can run at 60 k's an hour. Absolutely amazing. And guess what? I love this part. The girls just run around having fun. They lay their eggs and the men are the ones that hatch them. They sit on the eggs for six weeks. That's a very good father. Okay, we get into an emu story because emus are most beloved. So near me, on the north side of Sydney, it's sandstone, lots of outcrops of sandstones and headlands. Except for the Burrup Peninsula in Western Australia, it's the biggest number of rock carvings in the Southern Hemisphere. And I thought one of the ones that's still very deeply cut, you know, in the rock, you can see very clearly 
There's an emu on this section of rock, a beautiful big mummy emu, and there's a big carving of the brother of the sky person. Bayami is the main spirit who looks after the sky. He lives in the sky. He looks after the sky. And Daramalan, that's Darug word, I think, is his brother. Now, he has a great big foot, and that he can put down on the land, but he can live in the sky. So he's like a, a, a link between what happens in the sky and what happens on the earth. And so these carvings are the lovely big emu looking happy and the lovely big Daramalan looking very godlike with rays coming out of his head and his big foot and his big nulla nulla, you know, hitting rod for if any baddies want to take over us. So there they are. And Daramalan, he's down on earth for a little while, checking on things, making sure things are all right. And he sees this emu. Oh, what a lovely creature, he thinks. So he falls in love with the emu. And the emu, after a little while, says, Okay, I'll be your wife. So there they are, this wonderful emu and Duramlin. They're married. Now we get into the sky, into astrology. In the Milky Way, in the sky, there's a dark section that is just like an emu. And we call it the emu in the sky. And you would be able to see it if you were away from the lights of the city. And if you look hard, you can see that it looks a bit like an emu. Now, at the moment, it will look like an emu without legs because it's daddy sitting on the eggs. That's when he's sitting on the eggs, incubating them to become little chicks. But other times of the year, the emu has long legs and looks like it's running and that's the mummy emu so aboriginal people living outside not closed into houses at night could see this and could judge the season from how the sky looked so we can see the emu in australia half the year and the other half of the year the northern hemisphere the top of the world sees the emu and this is how the story goes. Because Duramalan, remember, he's Bayami's brother, he belongs in both the sky and the land. The emu, who is called Dinawan, is a land liver, but once upon a time she could fly. They don't fly anymore. So what happens is you look in the sky, and if you see the emu and it's got no legs, you know daddy's sitting on the eggs. And if you see the legs, you know the emu's getting ready to run away into the other season. And when the emu isn't there, isn't clear there, you can only see the head of the emu, that's when the emu, the Dinawan, has gone to the sky to visit her husband's people. And when you can see the emu in the sky, he's on the land visiting her people, which is the right thing to do. You can see what I mean about stories. We accept that a kangaroo is a person, that an emu is a person, and that they're equal to us. So we talk about it that way. So what it's really secretly teaching you is what are your responsibilities? You know, you must do the right thing, you must respect each other, and you must always look after your family. That's 
It's incredible. So now that we've heard one of the many incredible stories from Auntie Claire, how do those stories get passed down through generations? Helen Milroy is an artist and an incredible storyteller. She's written a series of books about a gang of Aussie animals called the Bush Mob, and she's joining us today to tell us how important storytelling is, not just in the indigenous culture, but for all of us. Hello everyone, my name is Helen Milroy. I'm a Palpu woman from the Pilbara region in Western Australia. I'm also the author and illustrator of Bush Mob and I hope you will really enjoy the series. Storytelling is actually a really key part of growing up. It's probably the oldest form of learning that we have in the world and from an Indigenous perspective, it's been with us since the beginning of time. One of the hallmarks of Indigenous culture is the way we tell stories, the way we understand stories and the way we understand life. One of the things I love about Indigenous storytelling is that everything is alive, everything has spirit and everything is in relationship. And if you think about that for children, that's that's a pretty cool concept. Imagine thinking that you can talk to the moon and dance with the stars and make friends with the sun. It makes you feel like you're connected into a universe that's alive and nurturing you. And one of the things about Indigenous culture, which is also really lovely, is that we have this broader attachment system. So you're not just attached to family, you're attached to your country, your land, your homelands where your ancestors lived for many, many generations, that you're attached to animals and plants and trees and all sorts of things in the natural world. Certainly storytelling has a very special place in everyone's life. And if you think about it, most people don't remember a lesson that they learnt at school in terms of what the aims and objectives were, but they might remember a story about something that happened at school. And so we actually remember generally our lives through stories. And in fact, when people are reminiscing about their life, they tell it through stories. And the other really important part of storytelling is that it also helps with the relationship between children, parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles. So the more time you actually engage with storytelling with your children, that's going to improve your relationships right across life. We have learnt some mind-bending stuff about the first people to call Australia home. So how much can you remember? Why don't we have a quiz? Yes! Yes, let's have a quiz. That's a great idea, Andrew. Thanks very much. It works like this. So there you are. You're in your car. You're driving around through different nations. I'll say the question and then you buzz in and you can buzz in with your name or a sound or anything. Play a little bit of music and that's when you can give your answer and then I'll tell you the answer. There'll be a winner at the end and the prizes. My goodness. Just look at those old people up the front. They're supplying the prizes. You ready? We'll do multiple choice questions. Here we go. You ready? What was Australia's very first item of international trade that the Yongu people of Northern Australia traded with the Indonesian sailors? Was it A, sea cucumbers, B, sea squirts, or C, sea shanties? Well, it wasn't sea shanties and it wasn't sea squirts. It was sea cucumbers. And here's an interesting fact about the sea cucumber. They can throw their stomachs out of their own mouths. That's a good party trick. Next question. What kind of an animal can you find if you look into dark patches of the Milky Way? Is it A, 
an emu. B, a cockatoo. C, a budgie. It's A, an emu. And when the emu was in the sky, that was the time to collect the emu eggs because that's when they were laying them. It's also a great time for omelette lovers. Oh, this is good. Time for a sports question. Our first Aboriginal test cricketer, Arnie Faith Thomas, sometimes had to practice using what for a cricket ball? Was it A, a hard-boiled emu egg, B, a soft-shelled emu egg, or C, a round river rock? Yes, it was C, a round river rock. Imagine playing cricket with a hard-boiled emu egg. Faith was a fast bowler. And she says that she developed very strong wrists from throwing rocks at galahs. Now to a language question. How many different languages are or were spoken in Australia by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people? Is it A, 2, B, 20 or C, over 250? Of course, the answer is C. There are over 250 different languages. Maybe you can speak in one of them or you know some words. And if you do, maybe you could share those words with someone who doesn't speak in any of the languages. That'd be great. So we could all learn together. So if you see me walking down the street, by the way, stop me and go, hey, Dado, try this one on for size. That'd be cool. Hey, that's it. That's that's our quiz. How did you go? Do we have a quiz winner in the car? It was good fun. Do you feel like you know more about Australia's traditional owners? And are you keen to learn a bit more? Because really, there is so much to learn. Here's something you could do. Remember the acknowledgement of country that I did at the start of the podcast? Well, we'd like you to find out which nation was the traditional owner of the country you live in now. And when you've done that... We'd be stoked if you could record an acknowledgement of country and send it to us. Or if you're an emerging elder yourself and a custodian of your country, we'd love you to record and send us a welcome to your country. And if you can do that in language, that would be extra special. We'll put a link in the show notes to this podcast to a map showing the traditional custodians of the land and a link to how to word an acknowledgement of country. That will be cool. Next week... We're going to look at some great inventions and inventors from Australia. After hearing today's That's Incredible, I'm guessing you won't be too surprised by the ways Australians have made their mark on the world. I'll see you then. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.